And Jen says, okay, do you have any experience working on a film set? (laughs) (laughs) Get out of town, Jen. Oh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. film business for teenagers in Cape Side, Massachusetts is just booming. booming. I'm turning down jobs left and right. (laughs) Back to you, Bob. And welcome to back to you, Bob, a Dawson's Creek podcast. We are your hosts, Christina and Micah, and this is episode 213, His Leading Lady, which originally aired on February 3rd, 1999. <gasps> okay, okay. <laughs> winter, winter. We're depressed. It's wet. It's cold. Christmas is over. The Super Bowl is coming. Straight people are getting ready for the Super Bowl. Gay people were watching episode 213, His Leading Lady. <laughs> and I'll be honest, this episode is bizarre. It's a weird one. For the people who are watching here, there, and everywhere, this isn't kind of one of the ones that I'm going to say you have to watch. I agree. What's the Dawson's drink? We are drinking Leading Lady, which is three ounces of Prosecco, one ounce of raspberry vodka, and fresh raspberries muddled inside. Very light, very refreshing. It's exactly what you think. It's good. It gets you buzzing. We're going to need some drinks to get through this one. <laughs> well, take a big sip and then tell us what the episode's about. This episode opens with Dawson and Joey. They're watching a movie as friends, just like old times. They're really hitting it off, and it's actually really nice to see. And it turns out she's offered to help him on his new movie after all. In fact, everyone's helping with the production. Jen, as we know, is a producer. Grams is helping with crafty and catering. Jack is like a little grip cameraman crew guy. And Andy's helping with props. But as Dawson mentioned in the last episode, he's having some trouble casting someone to play the role of Samantha, which is essentially Joey. So he brings Joey a rewrite of his script to her art class where he sees a nude model that Joey's painting. And he runs into this model later in the library. Turns out her name is Devin and she's played by Rachel Lee Cook. And she's a drama major. So Dawson asks her if she'd like to read the script. She does, and it turns out she has some brutal feedback on the movie. And it totally turns Dawson off from wanting her to audition. But he ends up being blown away by her read of Samantha, and he has no choice but to cast her. This is when things start to get weird. Devin becomes obsessed with studying Joey. She goes to the ice house. She sits at Joey's table. She studies her mannerisms. She wants to know Joey's backstory. She asks Jack about Joey. And she also gives Joey the third degree on what makes her tick and what makes Joey so angry. All of this is really hard on Joey. And it pushes her to confront Dawson about all these feelings she has about this movie. She wants to know why he's so determined to relive all of this. She does not love watching their relationship rehashed and replayed for everyone to comment on. Not to mention that it's just told from his one-sided point of view. Dawson says she may have dumped him and moved on with Jack, but he hasn't. This movie's all he's got. He has not moved on. He can't move on. Later, he realizes that he needs to. He needs to put all of this to bed and he really needs to move on. It seems like the movie's actually doing what Dawson wanted it to do. It's helping him cope with losing Joey. And he watches her walk off with Jack. And for once, we get this feeling like Dawson is kind of okay with how things are playing out. Jen, meanwhile, meets a new guy named Tyson. He's introduced to her through Grams, 
who says he's a fine boy. And Grams would love Jen to find a position for him on Dawson's movie. And she does. Jen and Tyson really hit it off and they bond on set. Later, he invites her to a party. She's taken aback when it is revealed that this is not just any party. It's a Bible study party, which, as you may remember from season one, is Jen Lindley's worst nightmare, seeing as she's an atheist. But Jen doesn't run from it. She kind of settles in and we get the sense that this is going to be interesting. When it comes to Pacey and Andy in this episode, Pacey is thrown when he discovers a pill bottle in Andy's bathroom garbage. It's for Xanax. He struggles with whether to ask her about it, and he finally does. She says that it's her mom's. And, you know, he's heard that one before when he ran into her at the drugstore. But he says that excuse isn't really going to fly this time. Andy confesses she started taking it after her brother Tim died in the car crash. But her doctor doesn't want her on it anymore anyway. The doctor wants her in therapy. And Pacey says that's a good idea. While they don't come out and say it, it appears that she's a little unnerved by all of his opinions on this and her mental health. Pacey notices throughout the episode that Andy's fuse is getting shorter and shorter. She's snapping more and more. When Pacey confronts her on this, Andy says she keeps adding things to her life instead of subtracting. Only one thing can go, and that's Pacey. She's done with him. Dawson advises Pacey to leave Andy alone. That's the only way you can get someone to come back to you. But Pacey kind of says, you know, F that. That's not his style. This isn't like Dawson and Joey. You know, he's not them. He knows what he wants. He wants Andy. He has no intention of letting her go. So he climbs up Andy's trellis when she refuses to open the door and he tells her that he loves her. He's not going to let her push him away. She says she loves him too. And he says they're going to get through this together. And that is episode 213, his leading lady. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, kind of a short recap. A lot of the episode had to do with making the movie, and there were a lot of montages to filming the movie. Dawson was kind of obsessing over the scenes being shot the way he lived them, not necessarily the way that the actors perceived them. And as we know from last episode, Chris Wolf is playing the Dawson character, Wade. It's a little bit of a weird one, but I didn't want to get too in the weeds with all of this film jargon and Dawson being his weird little Spielberg self it was a weird one certainly but it pushed a few things further along there were some conversations had that needed to be had and yeah it played its part it was nice in a sense that nothing super dramatic happened it just let us kind of live in the dynamics for now joey and jack are dating dawson and joey are friends pacey and andy are a couple it was just one of those episodes where we just kind of lived in the way things are now and leaning into the movie stuff was a little reminiscent of season one so that was nice And like you said, that doesn't happen so much anymore in like current TV, these kind of status quo episodes. Yeah. And it was it was really just the Rachel Lee Cook of it all. Just got a little strange, strange. Who wrote this magnificent episode? (laughs) This episode was written by Darren Goldberg and Shelley Meals. They are the writing team that we talked about in episode 209, The Election, which was a fantastic episode. And it was directed by David Semmel, who we know very well at this point. So yeah, they had a solid team behind it. And I think it showed. It felt like you're saying the dynamics all felt right to me. Like nothing felt off. It very much so felt like we were just like living in their in their world. Yeah, I think those writers are really good at Andy's voice. Andy's struggle with her anxiety and depression because the election was in episode two where all of that really came out. Abby exposed her in front of the school. Very true. Two high anxiety episodes. It wasn't an easy episode because they did pull scenes from season one. Yeah. (laughs) That we watched on Dawson's Creek, but they were 
living in Dawson's movie now, like the beauty pageant episode, the pretty woman episode where she's like, it's just lipstick Dawson. It's just, you know, we watched Rachel Lee Cook read those lines as Joey being like, it's just cosmetic enhancement. It's, it was a meta episode, which could be mind trippy to write. Totally. And I like how they changed certain things that they thought Dawson would change or that Dawson would have either recollected differently or heard differently. Like you're saying, it, Joey said, it's just lipstick. It's just hairspray. And Rachel Lee Cook says, it's just cosmetic enhancement. <laughs> so silly. Very meta. Props to Darren and Shelly and David. Who is the guest cast shout out? I was torn on who to pick this episode because we do have two new characters. Mm-hmm. I decided to go with my middle school heart and gut and give this week's guest cast shout out to Rachel Lee Cook. She, for me, is always going to be Lainey Boggs from She's All That. Absolutely. That was a very strangely impactful movie on like tropes and the zeitgeist and whatever. The trope of she takes her glasses off and suddenly she's pretty is still yeah. very much so something that's alive and in pop culture. So very relevant. She is still working. She's been working pretty steadily since I think 1995 when The Babysitter's Club came out. She was Marianne in The Babysitter's Club. That was her first role. She's still working today. Most recently, she was in a film called A Tourist's Guide to Love. It's a Netflix movie. And she's also been in a handful of Hallmark Christmas movies recently. So if that's something that happens in your household, I'm sure you see her face regularly. But yeah, she's still working. She's got an impressive resume and she's with us for three episodes this season. Is she? Interesting. I know they show her face on like when Dawson's cutting footage, we see her. Maybe that's what it is then. Because I couldn't picture her either. It says she's in episodes eight, I think 18 and 19. So maybe they credited her for using her image. Yeah, I think because this is a big get for them. You know, she's a movie actress. She's all that was iconic. Uh, you know, I used to live with producer Beth. You know that. Maybe some of the listeners yes. don't. So I used to live with producer <laughs> Beth. We lived in two places together. And when we moved into the second one together, we put on She's All That as like our unpacking kind of movie. And we just sat down and stopped unpacking. <laughs> because how could you watch She's All I mean, the cast is like unreal. It's so good. It's so good. She was just recently in a Netflix movie with... Damon Wayans Jr., I believe. It wasn't the tourist guide to love that you just mentioned, but that one is pretty good. And she, I believe, had a cameo in He's All That, which was trash. Don't watch it. Yes, she did. It was garbage. The movie that you're talking about is called Love Guaranteed, <laughs> and it was came out in 2020. Yeah, that was okay. I mean, I like her and Damon Wayans Jr., so I watched it, but I mean, you don't have to... Don't have to run out. It's not going to be on a watch and watch (laughs) segment anytime soon. What is like the music moments? I mean, I think I already know what you're going to say. Yeah. I mean, well, the obvious one is the Bruce Springsteen song towards the end of the episode. Sad eyes. Yeah. It plays when Pacey is climbing up the trellis at Andy's house in a very precarious way, almost falls off. And then it comes back at the end of the episode. But also the other song that I remember, and I feel like we've talked about this in multiple episodes, but there's a Bare Naked Lady song in this episode. Yeah. It's all been done. Mm-hmm. Just like we've said before, like they have a very distinct sound and I feel like I associate them with Dawson's Creek. They were used so much throughout this season. So I just remember that song being used in the film set montage 
Yeah, they only had three songs. They were, I mean, Bare Naked Ladies and Bruce, significant songs. I did love Sad Eyes by Bruce a lot after this. And I always attribute it to Pacey and Andy. I kind of forgot that it was in that Dawson scene, Dawson, uh, Dawson Joey scene at the end. But I love Sad Eyes. I wonder if, again, this is like my TV film brain. They only had three music, three songs in this episode, which is not a lot for them. And I mean, the guest cast in this one was insane. I wonder if just the budget was just... Again, because guest, totally. guest cast still includes Meredith Monroe and Chris Smith, but then they had Tyson, Rachel E. Cook. Rachel E. Cook had to be... They had to throw a lot of money at her. I'm guessing. This I was like think the you're probably peak right. of her career, you know? But anyway, they had Meredith Monroe, Curse Smith, Tyson, Rachel E. Cook, Chris. A lot of guest stars. So Big episode. And we've been coming off of a handful of episodes with a lot of music in them. So maybe music. they were like, this one doesn't need it. Let's put the money elsewhere. And I believe it, we should note that this is February of 1999. And the first Dawson's Creek soundtrack actually comes out in April 1999. It's big. It's big. They're doing a soundtrack. I played the crap out of that soundtrack. Oh, my God. Repeat. Repeat. Just that white little disc just spinning in my AWA. Just over and over (laughs) and over. So what's your past versus present? I don't know if I have one. I'm trying to think. Maybe, honestly, a little bit controversial, maybe. But Rachel Lee Cook is not that good in this episode and i think at the time i was so excited because she's all that had just come out so i was like oh man but she's not she's fine it was so weird yeah there was just a lot of weird stuff going on yeah maybe it's not the acting maybe it's the character i take back what i said when i said like i don't recommend this one for watching like i actually think people should watch it to see how weird it is Hmm. like she was so weird Yeah, i mean if you got free time it was so bizarre oh yeah I'm I'm pantomiming, but when Joey was taking her order at the ice house and she wrote on her little order pad, she walks away. Rachel E. Cook is like writing in the air how Joey wrote on her note. It was so weird. Anyway, I I agree with that. I mean, she's doing Hallmark movies now, so no shade, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good past versus present. I think we got caught up in like, oh, a movie star in Dustin's Creek. But at this point, they were all movie stars. You know, but I guess they were TV stars doing movies. This was a movie star doing TV. Yeah, that's true. And uh, just in contrast to Chris's audition for the movie, whenever that was a couple of episodes ago, I feel like he actually was a good actor. Like I was like, oh, Chris is a good actor. And then when she did her audition, I was like, mm. <laughs> yeah, there was not much of a difference between Rachel Lee Cook playing Devin and Rachel Lee Cook playing Devin auditioning for Samantha. Totally. There exactly. Not much happening there. And there's a big difference between Jason Bear playing Chris and Jason Bear playing Wade. Yeah. Jason Bear. I mean, Chris playing Wade is very believable. He There's a sharp contrast in the character, I think. Yeah. For my past versus present, and I don't know exactly how to verbalize it, there's something weird. Look, 1998 was 1998. 2023 is 2023. That's the whole point of the... That's how time works. Now that I've explained the past versus present segment to you, (laughs) I don't know what I'm trying to say, but there's something weird about how PC was so aggressive about Andy's mental health. Not that I think he was wrong, but like a lot of things that Dawson does doesn't hold up in 2023. But I think this did, actually. Like, I don't think Pacey or Joshua Jackson played it in a way 
that it doesn't hold up or it's like, oh, Pacey, how dare you? But there was something I think I just took note of like, oh, he's questioning her about her medication. That's weird, but he had the best of intentions. But also, I uh, maybe it's not the same for you, but what was harder for me to swallow was he was really pushing her. Like he felt like he needed her to tell him all the details or admit to him whatever whatever so that he could then wrap his head around it and then support her where like by the end of the episode he was like oh i just have to support her Mm. and that was kind of the move all along yeah i thought it was so cringy that he pulled her medicine out of the trash and was like what what is this okay so again i do want to put a pit in this for when we open it up because i do want to talk about that more but yeah there was something about I guess I'm actually applauding the show in Joshua Jackson and the writing, how the approach to the mental health crisis in 98 and 2023, it kind of holds, I do think it holds up pretty well. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And it was very different than like the fact that they were taking it on at all, I think is very yeah applaudable. That's not the word, but. Zanak. Did you see the name of the medicine? Zanak. I did. They kept saying, they kept saying she was on Xanax. But they showed the bottle and said Zanac, Z, not X, Z A N A C. I love it. Well, then let's open it up. Let's open, let's crack it open. Oh my God. Well, let's just start with that then, since we're here. Like, do you think it's okay to not go through someone's, but if you saw something in your partner's garbage, like, is it okay to question them on that? Like, I kind of had those thoughts. It's a weird area. I also think it's different when you're talking about, a high school relationship first, like where we're at, you know, still young and hip, but <laughs> like emotionally I'm 15, but go on. I understand why he did it because he had already questioned her about it and she had lied about it. And he was like, okay, like I got to press her on this. But again, like something about his approach and maybe it's just because I'm an anxious person. And I know that if somebody approached me in that way, if I, especially if I was feeling particularly anxious, I would be like, get out of my orbit. Like it's too much. You don't strike me as anxious. If only you could see inside. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I guess they did kind of protect themselves because he didn't confront her in the scene when he found it. They gave him a beat of struggling with what to do. So I guess that must mm-hmm. have been their way of protecting Pacey. Yeah, it's a hard thing. I think I... If I found something in a place where I wasn't supposed to find something, I don't think I would say something, but I think it would torture me. I think it would bother me. But also, she didn't try to hide it. She threw it away in the trash can in a room that he was going to be using. It's not like he was like snooping around. But also, he took it out of the trash. He read what the prescription was. Yeah. So it's like, I see both sides. I see both sides. Well, let's start from the top. So Dawson and Joey are watching a movie. They're friends again. Thank God, because I could not live in that anymore. It was a little jarring, though, the first time around seeing the two of them back together so casually watching a movie, I remember. It was. But he says right out of the gate, like, that went well. Or he's, what do you think? And she was like, I don't know. And then he starts talking about the movie. And he's like, no, about us. Yeah. I kind of liked it because I can't with these two anymore. This episode was a tough one. So Joey in this art class, there's another nude. What art class is this? I don't know, honestly. Is it even legal for an underage person to be taking art classes with nude models? It's a good question. So the nude model is Devin, Rachel Lee Cook, posing 
Dawson sees her and he's mouth on the floor. <laughs> the art teacher is so oh, weird. God. What a creep. What With his weird haircut, <sighs> his weird facial hair, his weird necklace. His weird pants. His burgundy pants. Get out of here with your burgundy pants. He looks like he should be a host at like a Carabas or something. <laughs> like some sort of chain restaurant that is trying to be fancier than it is. It's giving like... Longhorn Steakhouse. Black box performance of like Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. Oh, 100%. Nailed it. It's That's it. giving Nirvana cover band at a dive bar. I don't know what it's giving. It's giving... It's giving the skinny guy from Road Trip had a baby <laughs> with Toad from Super Mario Brothers. It's giving toupee. It's giving dog collar. Skinny. Really skinny. I'm scared. <laughs> I don't like what's happening. I don't like that there's a nude woman in the room with him. A barely legal nude woman. I don't like that he's around 16-year-old girls. I feel confused by the whole situation. We're setting the scene. So Joey must be taking these art classes at college? Yeah. And Joey is 16, but Rachel E. Cook character Devin is freshman, sophomore. 18 or 19. She's posing nude for this art class. And Dawson is in the area to use the college library and decides to just casually walk into Joey's art class. Well, she's naked. Well, Devin's naked, not Joey. Yes. And Joey's like, you're a freak. What are you doing here? All right. We've already covered it, but they call it Xanak and not Xanax. Andy McPhee is on Xanak. And <laughs> if, can we be honest? She's on 20 milligrams <laughs> of Xanak. She needs it. I don't know what Xanak is, but wow. 20 <laughs> milligrams? 20 milligrams? Look, no one loves anti-anxiety more than this guy. But I think mine's like half a milligram. You would be <laughs> comatose I, on the floor. Maybe I need to up my dosage. Maybe I need to call Dr. Prang and get in Xanax. <laughs> 20 milligrams. Take twice daily. She's on 40 milligrams of Xanax a day. I'm obsessed with Xanax. <laughs> Xanax's going to be my new personality. Hey, do you guys have any Xanax? <laughs> no, no, not Xanax. Xanax, you idiot. I can't explain it, but like Dawson just being at the library just like annoys me. <laughs> Dawson doing most things annoys me. Like, why are you at the library? Go home. Yeah, no, get out of there, Dawson. Even when he's at home, he's annoying. No, oh, let, let me rearrange all my posters on my wall. Yeah, Dawson's in his flop era. I loved when he gave his script to Devin and he said, you know, if you like it, my phone number's on the front. Let me know what you think. I would love to like have you read for the part. And she says, careful, Dawson. Stronger men have been crushed by what I think or something like that. What a loser. They should date because they're both such losers. I honestly thought that's where this was going. Devin and Dawson, losers. <laughs> so at the Lindley house, Graham's is having your groceries carried in by Tyson, who at first is kind of cute, like his, his little Sherpa jean jacket, yeah. which I own, which I love. <laughs> but then, I don't know, he annoys me as Ty. Like he, I thought he was cute at first, and then I was like, he's not cute at all. My favorite is when Graham says, oh, I was telling Tyson about your movie, and maybe... <laughs> 
<laughs> I love your Graham's accent. <laughs> Maybe he could help. And Jen says, okay, do you have any experience working on a film set? <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Get out of town, Jen. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. The film business for teenagers in Cape Side, Massachusetts is just booming. booming. I'm turning down jobs left and right. <laughs> Have you ever worked on a film set before? No, but I've worked on a bunch of theater productions. <laughs> in that case, come on down. Absolutely. I'm pretty good with my hands. So, Devin, you touched on this in the recap, but Devin comes back later that night to Dawson, says she's going to read. But first, she has a couple of things she wants to talk about with the script. She says it's a little heavy handed. It's a little verbose. She starts giving him criticism. And Dawson is like, no, I'm good, actually. I don't need you to read. (laughs) And and she's like, what? A little criticism and now you don't want me to read and he's like no i don't think you're right for it and she's like you're not gonna let me read and he's like no and then she says if you can't take criticism you're never gonna make it and he's like you know what i will let you read and that (laughs) felt like growth to me you forgot when she was like good luck in high school (laughs) i'm sorry Devin. she's like you and me we're not the same we may only college. be two years different, but we are not the same. There are worlds between us. This script reminded me of my adolescence. And Dawson was <laughs> like, yeah, two years ago. I actually was like, that's a sick burn, Dawson. Good for you. <laughs> they finally brought on a character that we hate more than Dawson. <laughs> this is like when they bring in freaking King Kong to fight Godzilla. We're like, oh, which one do you root for? We hate them both. They're both destroying cities. I hate Devin. Yeah, but I did think it was growth that Dawson was like, you know, you're right. I will let you read. Not like, yeah, I'm doubling down and I still hate your guts. (laughs) Actually, never look at me in the eyes again. Maybe he got a self-help book at the library and he's (laughs) growing. Maybe he took one of Andy's Zanac. 20 milligrams. (laughs) Uh, Look, she auditions. Mediocre audition for me, but it's Cape Side. You got to work with what you're Do you think, look, the answer is no, but I'm going to pose this question to you anyway. <laughs> Do you think that she was supposed to be mediocre at the audition, but she looks enough like Joey and has that Joey face and Joey charm that that's why he picked her? No, I think she was supposed to. <laughs> really? He blew her away. <laughs> yeah, me too. As we said, it is the doc scene from pretty woman iconic episode from season one devin begins stalking josephine potter at the ice house she comes in she orders with her she's repeating her and repeating her gestures and then jack comes over because joey's like can you go handle that table i do not know what is happening over there (laughs) (laughs) and jack goes over and is like do you know that girl can you tell me everything you know about her Tell me everything you know about her. Talk slow. It's weird. But then it's a lovely PC Andy scene. Let me tell you, I need the McPhee's interior designer. And by interior, I mean exterior because it's outside. (laughs) But I just love everything going on at the McPhee house. This wicker furniture. Where can I get it? A dream. Literally anywhere. You can get wicker furniture (laughs) anywhere. That floral pillow. I want it. I need it. Floral pillow outside on wicker furniture. They are cutting edge. Living. I do love a brick. Avant-garde. 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 <laughs> I love a brick. 
Love a brick. I love a brick. I love a trellis. I love greenery. I love a climbing vine. Love a climbing vine. <laughs> love a trellis. They're setting up the trellis. They're like pacing they planted climb it. a trellis. Yeah. Pun intended. They're <laughs> showing us the trellis. The McPhees have hanging baskets. Uh, what's better than that? <laughs> According to my mom, nothing. My mom loves the hanging basket. I used to always hit my head on them outside. I used to like mm. concuss myself. <laughs> I love a think... fern, a hanging fern. Luxury. I'm not kidding. I don't love a fern. <laughs> I don't love a fern, but if you hang it from a basket on somebody's front porch, I think they're rich. You love a fern. Only. You love a hanging fern, but you don't love a fern. Yes. Now, do we think Meredith Monroe was sick in this scene? Because I fully do. Do you think she looked sick or sounded sick? I think both. And she looked sick and her ears are like bright red. And she just looked a little ill. And her nose is red. Like she does the sniffles or something. Yeah, I think you're right. She definitely sounded a little sick. I do think also they weren't doing her any favors though, because she definitely wears very little makeup in this episode. Like it's her undoing. By the end of the episode, she has like no makeup on. She's full spiraling. Well, she's in the midst of a neurotic panic. You know, her doctor's not renewing her prescription of Xanax. <laughs> and he did not titrate her down. She is going from 40 milligrams a day to nothing. <laughs> it's awful. I feel for her. kind of love her sweater in this scene. It's like a puke green, <laughs> but it looks, <laughs> it looks cozy. Man. But basically, Pacey's confronting her about the medicine. She's like, it's my mom's. He's like, no, it's not. He was like, if you're not okay, you would tell me. And she's like, yes, I'm okay. My doctor's taking me off and I'm going to go to therapy. He says therapy is a good idea, which is a little, eh, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But we love Pacey and Andy. I can't talk about it anymore. People are DMing me on Instagram being like, you're getting a little weird about Pacey and Andy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, look, I like what I like. We have to talk about this set that Dawson has set up. Oh my gosh, with the fake TV. (laughs) It's for rehearsals. Uh, disaster. But also, this is what I don't understand. Set, set the scene. Set the scene. Okay. So it's in his own yard, right? In Dawson's own yard? Yes. It's in that little stage that they set up last uh, episode where Abby confronted Andy. Right, 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 about right. Staying outside all night. They're in Dawson's yard and they have set up basically Dawson's bedroom with a TV, two lounge chairs as a bed, and they're running through the scene. But they could just go inside and be in Dawson's actual room and rehearse in the actual space. That's what I didn't understand why they didn't do that. I did not understand. They even made it a point in the previous Pacey Dawson scene to say that they are going to shoot it in his room. He's moving all of his movie posters around. Yes. And rehearsals taking place outside. I fully don't get it. Do not understand. Does not compute. So this is one of those scenes where Chris is not delivering lines as Wade, aka Dawson, the way that Dawson wants. So Dawson is getting micromanagey. And this is where Joey walks in and she sees Devin playing Samantha and she's like, oh my God, this is my stalker <laughs> from the ice house. <laughs> Single white female, Bridget Fonda, let's go. Speaking of sweaters, I'm a fan of Joey's sweater in that scene. It's like green and it has like stripes around the collar. It's very 90s, but I like it. Joey Potter is a fashion icon, as we've discussed. It's as we discussed in the Bobbies. Fashionista. We don't know if she's thrifting. Well, we don't know what she's doing, but it's working. She's just the poor girl from the wrong side of the creek. Probably (laughs) hand me down. Popping tags. It also made me laugh when this is jumping ahead a little bit, but Dawson tells Devin that 
part of Sam's character is that she's angry. She has this like innate anger. She's angry by nature. And Devin approaches Joey and tries to piss her off so that she can see the anger straight from Joey. So she's like saying all these things about Jack and Dawson and da 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 da. And then Jack comes up and Joey kind of explodes at Devin. And Devin's like, thank you, and walks away. And Joey goes, she's too short to play me to Jack. And it just brought me back to the too tall girl from the wrong side of the creek. Oh, yeah. That anger scene was, there's a lot going on there. It was very coded, very layered. Devin was like, I'm wondering if you could tell me a little about this because personally, I'm not angry by nature. Joey was like, I'm not angry by nature either. This is just a one-sided narrative of blah, blah, blah. I liked when Devin was like, I'm Devin. I'm playing you in the movie. Now you know I was acting so weird. And Joey was like, oh, I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. Boom. Sick. Horror. (laughs) (laughs) I love Joey Potter. She's Season two, Joey Potter is not, she's leaving no crumbs. But also- She's taking no prisoners. She hates everyone. Also, I couldn't really stand her in the fight scene with her and Dawson. This is the first time ever that I watched a fight where Dawson was on one side and I sided with Dawson. <gasps> tell me more about that and i'm gonna be your therapist i'm gonna be Andy's therapist tell me more about that <laughs> so they go into a little room and joey is like this is why do you feel the need to splay all of this out there it's one thing if you're over it but i'm not over it and you're just putting all of our business out there and dawson's like you're not over it you dumped me you have another boyfriend you this that the other i I'm not over it. And this is the only thing I have. So forgive me for channeling all of my energy into it and trying to make it the best thing it could be, basically. And I was like, yeah, Joey, like you, she, her approaching him and being like, I'm not over it is wild. Certainly, I I think it's a little sketchy for Dawson to be like, just replaying their exact relationship in film with all of their friends and classmates. But get out of here, Joey. I think one of the things you might be reacting to is that this is a fight where James Vanderbeek didn't play it so arch. Like he dialed it back a little bit and he wasn't so crybaby. And maybe he was reacting to kind of what we've been reacting to, which is this is the third or fourth fight they've been in this season where they're covering the same area. Maybe he wanted to do something a little different. So he didn't play Dawson. So childish or so there was there was something different about Dawson in this fight that I don't know if I sided with him over Joey, but I didn't go so far into the Oh, Dawson, you're yeah. being insufferable. So I agree with that. I agree with that. That could definitely be it. It's so funny to me when... So Andy is in charge of props on the movie, and she's turning this Brett back from Devin, but Devin left it somewhere. And Andy's like, well, I'm in charge of props, and you're supposed to give me the prop. I give you the prop. You're supposed to give it back to me. Like, that's how it works. And again, she's off her Xanax, so <laughs> she's, you know, white-knuckling everything. And the way she hates Devin in that moment is just so funny to me. She's like, how could you be so stupid? <laughs> And careless. I I relate to Andy McPhee so damn much. It's crazy. <laughs> but I don't know. And then Pacey pulls her aside and is like, calm down. And that's when they have their fight where she's like, I need to subtract something. And, you know, you're the only thing I can subtract. I can't subtract my mom or school or Jack. You know, it's got to be you. And she dumps Pacey. And where was your head and your heart in that moment the first time around? The first time around, heavens, I can't remember. I must have been so excited for the Super Bowl. I just was. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know what I was thinking the first time around. I just love them so much. I know. And they were possibly coming to an end. I know. I knew I didn't want it to happen. I could tell you that much. And then he consults Dawson and Dawson is like fresh from his fight with Joey. And he's like, give up on her. <laughs> it's what she wants. Let that it go. Was Move on. She'll come back. Wild. Yeah. He basically was like, if you love something, let it go. It'll come back. And if it's not, it's meant to be. Basically. I mean, I'm being very generous by giving him that grace. But uh, and Pacey's like, no, <laughs> I'm not you. I'm not Joey. I know what I want. I want Andy. You stupid bitch. <laughs> he's like, Andy needs me. And I'm not going to let her go. And Dawson's like, the only way to know is if you let him go and maybe they'll come back. (laughs) I don't know. Dawson being a good friend as always. (laughs) I did pick them as my best buds on Dawson's draft a few weeks ago. Although everyone told me how choice that was. I think that they really protect themselves a lot when it comes to Pacey because it's not like he has this white knight complex where he's like, I'm going to save Andy. And he has that line, you saved me from so much. You saved me from myself. I am who I am because of you. So now it's my turn to help you. So I'm going to do that. It's not about him. It's not about him helping her. It's like, you've helped me. I'm going to help you now. Yeah. There's nothing I hate more than a hero complex. Jen as a producer really cracks me up. There's a part where... Chris and Devin are doing a scene and Dawson is watching and he's like, that was amazing. He puts his hands up by his head and he can't (laughs) believe it. And he walks up to them and Jen is like, all right, I think we've got it. Let's move on before we lose the light. Like she's very much so just the producer role. Very serious. I know that's the point, but her as a producer just cracks me up. Cracks me up. Dawson, we have to get this shot before lunch. <laughs> Look, she's got her care and haircut and she's living. She's living. She's got her leather blazer and her care and haircut. That's all she needs. Then at the end of the day, end of the shoot day, Grams is telling her how proud she is of her. And she's like, you know, I was here doing craft services <laughs> and I realized everything was going smoothly and everyone was listening to one person. And how proud was I to realize that person was you? And then she says something along the lines of a woman movie producer. Who would have thought? <laughs> Insane. <laughs> that I rewound it because I was like, I could not have heard that right. You did. Back in my day, women couldn't do much, but now, you know, producing this student film, watching it today, it was like watching a wonder. What a wonderful time to be a woman. You could do anything you want (laughs) without a man. Good Lord. And then Jen goes to a Bible study, which I'm sure there are teenage Bible studies. I've never seen them. I'm sure they exist. Definitely. They definitely exist. She got duped, to be fair. She didn't She didn't willingly go. Yeah. He's like, you want to go to a party? She's <laughs> like, yeah, I love to party. I love to party. Let's go party. And then they walk in and it's like a chip and dip Bible study party. <laughs> chip and dip. <laughs> There's so many chips and dips. Look, maybe Jen was just hungry. You know what? She's insatiable. In more ways than one, Abby would say. You know, Jen, she likes to bounce. <laughs> Dawson's on the rebound and Jen loves to bounce. (laughs) I realized that in these last scenes with Pacey and Andy, so Pacey goes to Andy's house, Andy tells him to leave, and he starts climbing up the trellis, just like those vines, to her bedroom window. And finally, 
she lets him in and they have a really nice moment and they kiss. And I realized that my strong feelings for Pacey and like my love for Pacey and my want for him to be endgame with Joey was very much so forged in this relationship. Like it began, it began here, like watching him be such a good boyfriend and such a good, he's just so supportive. And I don't know, I think they have a really nice thing, which I know is counterintuitive then for me to want him to be with Joey. But I just feel like he, if if he had just gone from goofy Pacey that we saw in season one to kissing Joey, and then they got together, I'd be like, meh, he would have to prove his worth as a boyfriend in the relationship with her. But since I've seen how good you know, he can be. You know what a good be, boyfriend he is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because I'm like, oh, I love this. To your point, he shows up at Andy's door with a rose. And Andy, first of all, she comes down the stairs in a robe. We, you know, we've, t- we've talked about my love of the McPhee house. She opens the door. The door has this dramatic knocker on the front, which I love. Of course. You know, I love a knocker. Of course you do. Pacey, <laughs> Pacey is holding a rose. <laughs> She's like... Go away, Pacey. That made me laugh. I don't know why. Just it. And yeah, then he climbs her trellis and he's not taking no for an answer. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to get his little romantic speech out and she's not going to stop him. And he's such a good guy. He's such a good boyfriend. I wonder if nowadays he would get canceled for like toxic positivity or like a savior complex or something like that. But that's why we live emotionally in 1998 and we hate the present. I also feel like this entire storyline would just be different it would hit different in 2023 like i think it would be i think it would have to be the opposite it would be all of them are either medicated or in therapy and she's the only one like the last holdout like it can't be she's the only one because that's not reality now i mean dawson would uh, dawson would be on something oh yeah so when he's climbing the when he's climbing the trellis he (laughs) she's like are you crazy you're nuts we're acting like a psycho He's like, is this thing reinforced? <laughs> and then he slips and she takes the rose and it's just so cute and sad eyes by Bruce is playing. And even though he's like an odd choice because they're so young and he's so old, it worked. You know, it's like an old timey song. Yeah, it's not necessarily one of his hits. It works really well. It's not like, oh, it's taking me out of the moment. Yeah. Cute. And he says, I'm a charter member of the Andy McPhee fan club, and it's policy that I'm not going to take no for an answer. We're going to do it together. And they do, and they will, and they are. And then the show closes with this Dawson Joey. The movie's doing what it's doing. I think it's it's part of his grieving process. He's moving on. Yes. And we love that for him because we can't live in this anymore. No. I truly cannot talk about it anymore. <laughs> well. <laughs> and seeing as this is a Dawson's Creek podcast, where all we do is talk. That's a problem. That's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. But things take a turn next episode. How many necklaces do you think Dawson owns? Oh my God. I like wanted to bring up the necklace, but it was like triggering and I knew I'd go on a rant about it. So I didn't bring it up. But like, what is he wearing? Are you talking about the one, the black marble thing? <laughs> yeah. But he owns a few. He owns a few necklaces. I can't even. I wonder if he like went down to the boardwalk and picked up a little necklace from a little stand. It looks like he bought that from Joey's art teacher. <laughs> like, what is it? I hate it. Anyway, that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, I think that's all I've got, too. Should we do a creek speak? Let's do a creek speak. I have one here from our Apple podcast. It is from Megan C. Keating. 
And they say, as a huge Dawson's Creek fan, I can say without a doubt, this is the best Dawson's Creek podcast out there. Rewatching the series with these two amazing hosts is very worth it. In parentheses, currently on my third series rewatch because of them. Christina and Micah's incredible analysis, humor, appreciation for the 90s tied in with both of their experiences in the television industry makes this one of my all-time favorite podcasts. It's so fun and interesting to listen to. I love them so much. I love that. That was so nice. Yeah, I know her from our Instagram. You, yeah, you get, you get that interpersonal interaction over on the Instagram. No, trying to be more active on the Instagram, but it's so hard. It's like, you don't want to be too active. You don't want to annoy people, but you want to stay active. It's a balancing act. Did we do a Dawson's draft? Let's do a Dawson's draft. What's the topic? This week's category is going to be best theme song. So it doesn't need to be a song with lyrics. It could be an instrumental. Just one of those, the theme comes on, you love it, you're not skipping it, you hum it, you sing it. All right, I'm first. I think I'm going to take The Sopranos. As someone from New Jersey, it's just so good. hits home, literally. It's iconic. You hear the song, you think of the show. The images, like sometimes I used to live in an area close to there and just driving around occasionally, I would turn it on and be like, I am Tony Soprano. So good. For my number one, I am going to go with Succession. Oh, such a good one. Now, Succession was a show that I liked, but I always just felt like it was, I did, really didn't know what they were talking about half the time. Like, I don't know like, <gasps> deals and ins and outs. And did I understand what was happening on the show all the time? Not really. Did I love the theme song? Absolutely. Never skipped it. Love the, so the songs played over like home movie footage where everyone's in like their 90, 1970s fashion. and Mixed with really clean images of New York City. It's so a good. Banger. And it's Nicholas Bertel, who I think is one of the best composers working right now. I actually almost worked with him on my current show and then schedules didn't work out. But he is so good. He did the score for If Beale Street Could Talk. Mm -hmm. That score. It's an amazing score. It was my top album of that year. My Spotify unwrap most listened to album of the year was the score of that movie, which is nuts. Yeah. There's one song in particular that I took from the soundtrack, so I didn't like listen to the soundtrack. So I have a playlist that is mainly scores that I put on to write and do work. And it's not lyrical because I can't really write to lyrical songs, but it's a lot of Stranger Things. And that song was on it. So good. So you work with a lot of composers in your job. Yeah. every Anything that happens after you shoot the initial picture falls into my department. That's what I oversee. And there are companies that specialized just in opening credits. Like, I feel like some people might not know that. Yeah. So there's companies who strictly do the main title sequences. And then you have a composer who creates the main title theme usually, or you license a song. Sometimes it'll be like Dawson's Creek. It will be a song that's already exists and they license it for the run of the show. But yeah, a company will pitch us multiple main title ideas and then you find the one that you love. And then oftentimes the song and the main title are created kind of simultaneously. I like that theme songs are coming back. I feel like there was a moment where it was just the title card and it was like a 10 second kind of a thing. But I feel like HBO and White Lotus, especially like things like that, they're bringing the opening themes back. What's your number two? Succession was on my list, by the way. I think I'm going to take Friday Night Lights because that sound 
is so one iconic and two tied in my brain to that show. But the thing that's crazy to me is I always thought it was Explosions in the Sky, that band Explosions in the Sky, but it's mm-hmm. not. So Explosions in the Sky did the score for the film Friday Night Lights. And then NBC approached them to do the theme for the show and they said no. And they're quoted in articles being like, well, that was a dumb mistake. But so they hired a composer to basically rip them off and make uh, something in the vein of Explosions in the Sky. So it's just this random composer, but the guitar and the visuals and like then the percussion comes in and it's just so emotional. Like I feel like that type of music paired with that show is so good. Yeah, I didn't know. I thought it was Explosions in the Sky. I love when you tell me new things I don't know. (laughs) I know. I was surprised too. Also just a great theme. Another theme, like I write to that score a lot. So good. Well, for my number two, I mean, get out of here. It's White Lotus. Come on. So good. How could it not be? Like that season two theme song was one of the most played songs of the year for me. (laughs) Like it was just a banger. So good. Friday Night Lights was also on my list, by the way. I think in the spirit of our podcast, I'm going to pick I Don't Want to Wait by Paula Cole for Dawson's Creek. It's iconic. Every time I hear it, I think of the show. At this point in our rewatching, I am skipping the opening, which is why I hesitate to say it because I just see it so many times. But it's just such a good song. When it's gone, I miss it. You know, when it's the Jan Arden replacement, I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, we really didn't know how good we had it until they took it away. Exactly. (laughs) You don't know what you got till it's gone. Paved paradise and put up a parking lot. For my number three... I'm going to snatch it from you because I know it's on your list. And I'm going to go with Phantom Planet, California, the OC. Yeah, so good. Was that on your list? Yeah, it was. It was just such a good and like I've talked about it. I love the OC. It's not my favorite, you know, teen show, but I love it. It had its moments that stand out in my head. I pick it a lot for Dawson's Draft because I think it did some things very well. I... It's just that song. You're you're never going to hear that song for the rest of your life and not think of the show. It just fits so well. Captures the show. It's, it encapsulates that time. It encapsulates the show. It's perfect. I'm going to go with an old one and a comedy, which is weird. But I'm going to go with The Wonder Years. It's Joe Cocker with a little help from my friends. So good. That version of that song is so good. And whenever I hear that version of that song... I think of that show. It's just forever linked with the show in my brain. I just thought it was really, really great. So good. Love it. Love that song. I love that show. It makes me cry. That was was a good pick I never would have thought of, but I'm jealous that you picked it. For my number four, I have to do it. I'm surprised it hasn't come up yet. Game of Thrones. I know. That's on my list too. I mean, it's impressive visually, but just the song, because that's what we're doing. We're doing the song. No skips. And it's just such a, like, I feel like it gets you pumped it's for every episode. Pumped. I have so many left on my list. I'm trying to de- decide what direction to go into. You're not going to get my fifth. You're, I don't think you watched the fifth one. I might do something in the same vein as my last pick yeah. because of the iconic nature. I think I'm going to pick Thank You for Being a Friend for the Golden Girls. <gasps> oh, I was considering that. It's obviously like, an older show, it's out of the realm of like the current hard hitting 
main title themes and sequences, but it's just iconic. It's iconic. It's amazing. All right. What's your last pick? So my last pick is it's for a show called Pachinko, which is on Apple TV. Oh. And it's a famous show, but I, I find that a lot of people don't know about it. It's based on a book. It's about like the Japanese occupation of Korea and how that has affected people generationally. The theme song is wild. It's like almost two minutes long, I think. And it's just, it's the cast dancing. <laughs> it's a really fun theme song. You should just look it up. But the song is Let's Live for Today by the Grassroots, which, which is one of those classic rock, folk rock kind of a song that you know, but you don't know. Like I've, I've heard it 10 million times in my life, but like I couldn't tell you who sang it. Or, and I loved the theme and I loved the look and I loved how long it was and I loved all of it. And then I found out it's my dad's favorite song, which is what? so random because my dad is obsessed with Bruce Springsteen and Fleetwood Mac and all these things. But he's like, no, that's been my favorite song for like 30 years. And your mom knows it. And everyone should know that that's my favorite song. Oh, that was kind of nice. That's crazy. Yeah. I was like, that's cute. It made me like weirdly emotional. So, but it, aside from all of that, it's just a good, it's a very fun theme. I haven't watched the show, but everyone was talking about that main opening theme when the show first started. I watched it a few times. It's really well done. I know obviously we're not talking about the sequence so much as the song, but the, it's a really cool main title sequence. I would recommend watching it. Yeah. It just fits the show and like, you know, it's a very well done show. It's like you are tuning into like a feature film every week. It's just so well done and made and shot. And there's like yellow subtitles when they're speaking Japanese. There's blue titles when they're speaking Korean or vice versa. There's just, it's a very smart show. Yeah, you, you really have to be in the right mindset to watch it. But I recommend it's good. It's good. It's heavy, but it's good. Awesome. Well, to recap, my five best theme songs were. For The Sopranos, Friday Night Lights, Dawson's Creek, The Wonder Years, and The Golden Girls. In minor succession, White Lotus, The O.C., Game of Thrones, and Pachinko. Love it. Those both are pretty solid lists, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be things that people are like, but what about? But I know. You know what I found? A lot of comments on Dawson's draft. People love Boy Meets World. Yeah. And Boy Meets World is one of those shows where I feel like early on we were really avoiding comedies and now they're kind of bleeding in. But like for Best Couple, Corey and Topanga were up there, you know? I didn't watch Boy Meets World. I'll, I'll just say it. Wow. I, I, it wasn't my thing. I don't know. I wasn't watching kids shows. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. Well, the parents were definitely, if if I had been considering comedies at the time i feel like the parents would have been in contention for best parents Corey and Sepanga, like there 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 were some really good good characters and good storylines for sure now i have to say i have worked with topanga i've worked with danielle fischel yes she's she's directed a few of the episodes i've written and she's such a good director she's so good she's so well prepared she's so hardworking. nothing but nice things to say but everyone on our show was starstruck because they were like it's topanga and especially the straight guys they were like, you know, she was our first crush and da, da, da. And I was like, I didn't watch it. I mean, of course, I know Corey and Topanga are. I remember the best friend being cute. Yeah. But so sorry to all the Boy Meets World fans. I just it doesn't register to me because I don't wasn't a thing for me. We can't watch them all. <laughs> I watched a little of Girl Meets World because I was working at Disney Channel at that point. But yeah, I mean, you can't watch them all. All right. That's it. 
So next week's episode is episode 214, To Be or Not To Be, which is a very big episode. And what will Dawson's drink be for that one? We will be drinking The Suffering Bastard. You will need bourbon, dry gin, lime juice, Angostura bitters, and chilled ginger beer. And yeah, it is, it's a very big two-part episode. So for the next two weeks, we'll be covering this storyline. Yes, it's a game changer. Things moving forward will never be the same. It's a good little tease for people who've never watched it. And for people who have, they know exactly what we're talking about. And I can't wait. Looking forward to it. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.